Welcome to Eclipsed, a Heroes podcast, where we're two old school Heroes fangirls who are talking about the show and defending its honor. My name's Rachel. And I'm Keisha. And today we are talking about episode 14 of season one, Distractions. I don't think we have any old business. I don't think so. So I think everything we want to talk about, we talked about in our sister podcast, which is... Painting the future. Future, future. (laughs) And uh, I don't think there's going to be one this week because there's not much to talk about. Not really. We had, like, one thing that we could have opined about, but it wasn't really worth recording another episode for, we thought. And we're going to have plenty of opportunity to talk about that in the show in Season 2. So. Yes. I might I might mention it slightly a little bit. but It's, it's kind of impossible not to. Otherwise, yeah. no, there's not as much to talk <laughs> about. There will probably be one next week because, oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. We're going to have things to talk about. <laughs> big stuff big stuff about to happen for us personally like us and our relationship to the show and to each other Aww. yes Aww. yeah so let's start by talking about our favorite person <laughs> I-, I like to think at this point people just know to fast forward <laughs> The first, like, ten minutes or so every episode that Nikki's in, like, of our podcast, like, Christ. Uh, I We try to order the um, order that we talk about characters in the, like, least juicy to the most. So, mm-hmm. Nikki's always going to be talked about first, because she usually does not have anything very juicy going on. Not really, especially with how repetitive her story keeps being. It, it Her story is on, like is both slow and fast because that can sum Mm -hmm. up um, what happens to her in this episode. Mm -hmm. So remember in the last episode, there was a therapist that really wanted to talk to Nikki and more importantly, Jessica. And we saw Nikki kind of agree to it at the end. So that's where we pick up. Nikki is speaking to this therapist and they're using a metronome to try to bring Jessica out. This sort of leads Nikki to talking about a little bit of a story from her childhood, how they had a piano and she was not good at piano, but her sister Jessica was like really good at the piano. And it relaxes her enough that guess who comes out? Jessica. <laughs> and the therapist previously was like, oh, I'm not afraid of Jessica. You know, we've got those restraints on you and I've got a taser. Well, you know what? You should have listened to Little Mouse because Jessica <laughs> immediately snaps the restraints and we cut to black. So next we meet up with Nikki. She's passed out in the room that is like all torn apart. The therapist is on the floor. She looks dead, but she's not. Because she's just been tased the shit out of. You see all these mm-hmm. taser marks all over her back. And Nikki's freaking out. But then she gets knocked out by that guard that she gave a lovely, black, you know, broke the nose of. And taken back to the cell. Cut again. Cut to Nikki back in the cell. <laughs> in her padded cell. And she gets a visitor. And who is it but Malski. Aaron Malski from the previous episode with not the previous episode, a couple episodes back with DL. And he's like, good news, your charges have been dropped and you're going home. Hmm. The DA threw out the case because there was a man on death row who confessed to the murders and DNA evidence backs it up. So there's no reason for them to hold you anymore, Nikki. And she's like, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. I did it. And he's like, well, the state of Nevada isn't sure you did it. (laughs) And uh, so as far as the state of Nevada is concerned, you're a free woman. But, you know, she's not stupid. She knows that Linderman is behind this. And so she's like, well, as far as Linderman's concerned, what does that mean for me? And he just smiles. Don't worry about tomorrow's problems today, which is just delightful. 
I know. <laughs> Malski's always so entertaining. It's like, oh, don't worry about that right now. You're free. You get to go such home. You get a, to see your son. That's what you want. He's such a great slimy, like, lawyer goon. I love that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's it's what um I guess we would say that Arthur was in a way because God you know what yeah Linderman was his client so you know hey yeah yeah well we're about um well I don't I don't know how long we're into the actual episode but we we mentioned Arthur Petrelli already Ooh, and then balloons come down <laughs> <laughs> we Arthur Petrelli okay. we did it and I run around the desk we did it guys we did it <clears throat> well done shakes hand. <laughs> So Nikki's back home and Mike is knocking on the door excited and he's like, can we play Scrabble, Mom? And she's like, oh, give me a minute, sweetie. I'll be right out. But oop, it's not Nikki. It is Jessica. And we see Nikki banging on the ins- on like the mirror and she's like, oh, what are you so mad about, Nikki? You're the one that wanted to be locked up. So that is where we leave the Sanders family. She's free, but Jessica has taken over and is presumably going to be attempting to pass as Nikki. We'll see how long that lasts. Do you have any thoughts on Nikki in this episode, Keisha? Um, I guess like the only thing to really mention is just that bit at the end where it's like, oh, it looks like Jessica is learning how to pretend to be Nikki better because it was clearly like Jessica the whole time, probably like when she got home. Yes. And Micah's cool with it. Micah's the one who usually knows the difference. Yes. But he, you know, maybe he'll pick up on it. Something that she'll do that is not quite right, but could be, could be either her or either Micah or DL because you know they're both home with her now. Just getting a lot of mileage out of those CGI shots of uh, somebody banging on glass from a mirror. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. <laughs> ah. yeah. Oh, yeah. She's our favorite. Um. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, this is literally like we were saying before we started the episode. This is the chunk of episodes where I remember fast forwarding through all of her stuff if I did a rewatch. So, yes, it's it, it's it's very like, oh, OK, yeah, this is this is exactly the point where I got really tired of her <laughs> and her and her story. And I'm, I'm sorry, but also just no, I'm not really. So <laughs> sorry, but not sorry. Mm. But. You know, there's other characters, like, this is a very heavy Texas team episode. Uh, yeah. Very heavy with Claire's stuff, very heavy with, um, Siler's stuff, which we will talk about very last thing. <laughs> hmm. Save the best for last! Of course. And also, there's quite a bit of chunk in New York, whereas, um, there's no Mohinder in this episode. Mm-mm. Um. There's no, no Parkman. No Matt Parkman. But we do have Hero and Ando. Ah. So, why don't you tell us... What little bit has happened this episode with Hero, Keisha? Okay. Well, they're not in too many scenes, really, but there's a few interesting things that pop up with Hero and Ando, particularly Hero's uh, reunion with his father, Kaito Nakamura. So the first thing we see is it's revealed what, you know, the painting was, and it's the painting of uh, Hero and the T-Rex. That's what they had in the little, what would you call that, tube? Yeah, just tube. Older case i'm like what would you call that just like a little 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 carrying case so that was the one that they were trying to get to vegas and kaido's pissed and it's like hero's like oh no my father you know or like what did they say like and like oh he looks angry and hero's like nah he always looks angry (laughs) that's just that's just a thing you know you gotta get used to it uh and i just I, i love how um i've always been a big fan of how george sakai uh plays him in the beginning 
because he is. He's such a like stern Japanese businessman, you know, father type. Like he just he really leans into it. It's great. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's just chewing Hero out about all this time he's wasting in America. How he just up and left his job, and he's sitting here in this other country, gorging himself on hamburgers and waffles. <laughs> And, you know, and I love that he's, Hero's like, you'd like waffles. And he's just gives him a face like, no, he wouldn't. Because <laughs> waffles are joy and he will not have that. It's great. It's just, it's the classic, like, parents just don't understand kind of story where Hero is, Hero's the Peter Petrelli of his family. He's the dreamer. He's the one who's the kind of the black sheep. He doesn't really fit in with the standards and ambitions of everybody else so you see a lot of that familiarity in his storyline now that his dad's involved uh we learn that kaito is the ceo of the company and that he initially thought that what he would do for hero is he would allow him the chance to work up through the company you know start at the bottom and now we're here kind of thing and uh he's like maybe that was the wrong way to go about it so what if, here's my deal. And, and this is, you know, funny because it's like, Kaido doesn't have to offer him shit. <laughs> he could just like, you know, grab him by the ear and be like, you're going. But instead he's like, what if you come back to Japan and you, when you come back, I will make you a vice president in the company. And boy, if that isn't just, you know, some real privilege there, Mr. Mr. Hiro Nakamura. <laughs> class war anyway um so (laughs) i'm not gonna stop doing it i'm never gonna explain why we're doing it so um, (laughs) no one day i'm going to explain why i keep saying that uh basically hero tries to be like okay so no i can't do that because this is what's happening and he tells him everything that he needs to do and what he's going through and what's going to happen and all this stuff and he mentions that he needs to get the sword uh, from, you know, the, the Takezo Kensei sword. And Kaido, the face he gives him where he's like, those stories I read you as a child, that's what this is all about. And he gets real mad and he rips the painting in half. Like, this is what I think of your destiny. This is what I think of your little quest. It's dumb. It's a distraction. Wink. It's a waste of time. And uh, I'm going to prevent you from spending any more time on it because oh you want to get this painting to vegas well you're not gonna and i was like oh my god kaido that's a mendez original that's worth money maybe i don't know (laughs) that i'm always (laughs) i'm always if i can take like a little little side trip here i know that isaac mendez is a comic artist and i know that his work also gets displayed in galleries i always wondered how valuable it is because we know linderman buys them he's kind of like his patron but we as in the, those of us who've seen the whole show know why he buys them too. Like he doesn't buy them cause he's, he's into his artwork. He buys them because they're, you know, glimpses of what's going to happen. So I don't know. I always just kind of wondered. I was like, how, how valuable is his art really on the, on the I doubt on the that markets? they're worth very much, at least at the moment, you know, Yeah. in the event yeah. of his untimely passing, I'm sure that the prices would go up on his work. It's, it's likely. That's usually how that happens. Isn't it? So, so... But I think yeah. you're right, where it's like Linderman is pretty much his patron. That's who Simone is mostly selling to. That's what it seemed like. Yeah. You never, I don't know, she never really mentions selling them to anyone else. And it always seems like Linderman has them all. But like I said, we know why he has them all. Anyway. She must sell some of his other non-future ones to other people. Maybe. Yeah. 
Uh, it's just something I was, I was wondering about when he ripped that in half. I was like, ooh, how much money is he actually destroying there? Anyway. A couple grand, so, probably. Yeah, probably at least. It's a cool painting. Mm-hmm. I like the one with him and the T-Rex. Uh, so, anyway, Endo and Hero are like, well, heck, they don't know what to do. Um, because it's not like Hero can really access his power right now, so damn, maybe they should just go back to Japan. But it's it's really great, because uh, we don't just meet Kaito Nakamura, we also meet Hiro's sister, Kimiko. And Kimiko is a lovely character who is uh, definitely, I mean, if we're going to use the metaphor, she's kind of more than Nathan. She's the, you know, the, the good daughter who's behaving as she should and doing you know she has the responsibilities under her belt that someone in her position should have apparently she runs three divisions which is really impressive yeah so she goes and she takes hero aside and she's like look you just like fucking off and doing whatever you wanted and abandoning your role at the company it makes the company look bad it makes dad look bad it makes everyone think look really not great for the shareholders that's really important you know reputation's everything in these sorts of, you know, instances. And he's like, but I got to save the world. You know, it's, that's my, that's my, that's my destiny. That's what I'm supposed to do. And she has this great little comeback where she's like, well, what about saving your family? And it's like, I understand Hero's reticence to go back to the cubicle life because ew. But also even, you know, going and getting to be a VP or whatever. I mean, that's, it's still not him. That's not who he is. And it would be really hard to go back to any kind of normal life after you've done what he has and seen what he has, uh, which is something the show is actually going to get to play with later on, if these characters can never become normal, quote unquote, people again. Uh, so while Hero is a little angsty about the whole situation, he has an idea. He figures out, well, yeah, obviously there's an heir. And she's right here. And it's not him. It's Kimiko. Kimiko needs to be the one who gets groomed to run the company. Not him. She's far more better suited to it. So he has this great little moment. I just I just really like this because uh, you can't say enough about how charismatic Masioka is on season one of the show in particular. They give him so many great things to do. And one of them is this scene where he gets to be a total performative asshole. Uh, to be all like, well this is what I would do if I come back and I'm going to make all these terrible decisions and I'm going to ruin the company basically. And just really acting like I know everything though, cause I'm the boy and eventually, you know, frustrating Kimiko enough so that she actually uh, steps up and speaks up. And those, you know, obviously something she probably never does cause she seems, you know, reserved and respectful and it's great. Cause then Kaito can see, no, no, no. Kimiko's the right choice. She needs to be leading this company. She's the future of the Nakamura clan. And it's it's cute. It's a nice little moment. He's such a such a good brother to help his sister out and to, you know, show their father what actually needs to go down. And uh, ultimately, Kaido, he relents and he's like, all right, you know, if this is what you want to do, like, I'm not super down with it, but I won't get in your way. And so he's, you know, getting ready to go back and they're getting ready to leave. And Kimiko thanks her brother and she hugs Hiro. And Ando wants a hug too. And he's not going to get one. He's never going to get one. (laughs) He needs to stop being weird around like all the hot girls on this show because it's just not working in his favor. Uh, (laughs) I love at the end though, where he's like, I'm pretty sure your sister likes me more now. You know, like she's really starting to like me. And Hiro's just like, huh? (laughs) Like I just love his like line reading where he's like, what? What are you talking about? Don't be gross. 
but yeah, they had that you know nice little moment, and it's cool. And this is the thing we were talking about where we didn't want to devote a whole mini episode to it, but it seems as though there's probably really good reasons why Kaito decided to step aside and let Hiro try to do this. And they will be revealed much more extensively in the next volume of the show. Perhaps he's connected to all of this. Ooh. Mm. So, uh, yeah, did you have anything you wanted to add about the the Nakamura clan plus Ando? I wanted to be slightly more spoilery about the whole Kaito mm. thing. <laughs> in, yeah, go for it. Um, when Hiro's like, I'm going to get the Takeso Kensei sword, was it just because mm-hmm. they were stories he told him? Or, you know... Is it because he knows more than he's letting on? Dun, dun. That reaction that he gives to like, oh, you're getting the Takezo Kensei sword? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's just go ahead and not like fully spoil it. But That's let's why let, I'm just like... like ha- mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I know. But let's, let's let half a cat out of a bag just to be tempting. Kaido knows a lot more than he's letting on. Yes. He's a lot more involved than you can, than you can imagine. Yes. And that's all I'll say. So question his motives as to why he's stopping or mm-hmm. attempting to stop his son. Yep. And don't worry, because we will see him again. Oh, yes. Quite a bit. This isn't so. a one and done. We will no, see Kaito it's again. It's not a one and done for Mr. Takei, so. We will see Kimiko again. We sure will, and I'm real excited about that. Yes. She's great. But let's see. So that's what's going on in that little corner of new york what's going on elsewhere in the city rachel well keisha we join claude and peter where after claude has accepted that he is going to train peter how to use his abilities and hopefully not go nuclear (laughs) so they're engaging in some petty theft and claude is just shitting on peter the entire time he's calling him (laughs) a poodle Like, he's a kept boy. Like, you know, go run to your mommy and your brother. But he says he's going to teach Peter how to pull out a power one at a time like a Rolodex. He's like, if you can master one, you'll be able to master the rest. We just have to figure out how. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to hold someone's hand in order to do what they do. So Claude steals a purse, hands it to Peter, and he (laughs) leaves. Which, of course, if Peter doesn't want to get in trouble, he has to stay invisible. But Peter can't stay invisible. And there's this great woman, this moment where he's just holding the purse, like the woman like turns around and screams <laughs> and we cut away from him there. I like to imagine she beat him with it. <laughs> probably, probably. <laughs> he's just like, oh man. Goes up to Claude later, you asshole. All right. <laughs> Their whole dynamic. Yes. <laughs> that pretty much sums it up. But instead we'll go to Isaac and Simone and we see Simone knocking on Isaac's door and he opens it and like, oh, you just didn't use your key this time. <laughs> which watching it again really cracked me up because <laughs> we've really been pointing out all the instances of people just letting themselves into places. It was a delight that they mentioned it. It was like, ah, they knew that we knew. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Simone was is there mostly to give him her keys back because uh, at some point she must let the cat out of the bag that like, yeah, I'm not with you anymore, Isaac. I'm with Peter. And she walks in, looks at some of the new paintings that Isaac's been painting. And one of them is the city destroyed, and it is taken in from a delightful view off of her father's roof. She's like, great, you're you're painting our relationship like a blown-up city. (laughs) And she also reveals she came because she was hoping Isaac would know where Peter is, because he is missing. And Isaac is also trying to find Peter, which is why he's painting. And he's like, every time I try to paint, I cannot find this man. (laughs) 
and we see some lovely like um shots of uh just empty streets and stuff and he's like i don't know why i'm painting this and you can see Mm. in the background this like purse (laughs) on a painting (laughs) Uh, and it's like all we know what that what that's all about and he gets a little upset with Simone. He's like, Simone, listen, Peter's the bomb. He's going to blow up. You need to stay away from him. And she's kind of like, no, we got to like help him. He doesn't have to be the bomb. And uh, he ends up telling her to keep the key, which she does. And especially after he promises, like, I'm going to keep looking for Peter. Don't worry about it mm-hmm. right now. And so she leaves. Back to Peter, <laughs> who couldn't stay hidden with the purse. And nope. Claude again, giving him shit like you know a little focus and you could have had some cash and a fresh lipstick peter <laughs> so uh, he gets the best lines oh yeah claude gets the best lines other than maybe like two other characters mm-hmm. oh yeah and uh so he's like well we'll have to learn what's holding you back and claude thinks what's holding him back is his attachments and our second arthur petrolli reference of the episode he bets him 20 bucks that your dad didn't make much of you either <laughs> Burn. Well, he didn't, so. <laughs> and they're having this conversation in front of a row of um, Nathan Vogt Petrolli posters, and he's like, how could you not punch that man in the face every time you see him? <laughs> and Peter's like, he yeah, does sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> maybe once, you know. Well, that's not what we're <laughs> talking about today, but at least not to Claw. Claw doesn't need to know that he punches his brother in the face. <laughs> it's gonna, <laughs> yeah. it's gonna ruin his point. Um, <laughs> so, he's like, you don't know him, and then Claude's like, oh, I know everyone. You know, I get to see them in their underwear at home. People suck. People suck, friend. <laughs> and Peter's like, oh, they all, they don't all suck. And immediately Claude <laughs> picks up, a, oh, there must be a special someone in your life, Peter. And guess what? She sucks like the rest of them. And uh, he's like, no, she's different than everyone. <laughs> <laughs> he really does, though. <laughs> And then Claude's like, well, you know, what's, well, the let's go find her. What's the harm? If she's like what you say, then that's perfect, you know? Prove me wrong, Peter. Prove me wrong. <laughs> and uh, we cut back to Isaac, who is continuing to paint empty scenes. <laughs> Just frustratingly, like, throwing canvases and painting a new one. <laughs> and uh, the latest one that we get to see is a the top of a taxi with, like, motion lines heading down toward it. And later on in the episode, we see Simone letting herself into Isaac's place because, again, she kept the key. And Isaac isn't there at the moment. But instead, she gets to see another painting he did, which is a painting of himself and Simone on Charles DeVoe's roof. So she takes that as a sign like, I bet that's where he is. (laughs) (laughs) So she heads on over to there and she walks out on the roof and is like, you know, this is my father's roof and this roof has got to be, you know... What are you doing up here? And he's like, well, this roof is important somehow. I keep painting this roof. And uh, Simone looks at the pigeons and she's she's never figured out how the pigeons got up there. And <laughs> her father never figured it out either. Like, you know, I guess if they're up here, they're meant to be here. We don't need to bother them. And she tells him that she saw the painting that he did. And he's like, well, that's the future that I still hope for. Aww. In spite of him losing hope about being able to stop the bomb. And Simone is like, well why would you be allowed to paint the future unless you can do something about it? And that she believes that he can do something about it, that he can stop the bomb. And then we get to see the very painting that she looked at earlier, recreated with them having a light embrace on the roof of the DeVoe building. And then the camera pulls back and we see that Peter and Claude have been watching the whole time. 
Hmm. So again, Isaac has painted Peter and not known that he has painted Peter. He was just like, oh, this is nice. I paid a nice moment with me and Simone. But no, Peter's been there the whole time. And this sends Peter into a brood spiral. <laughs> oh, boy. He is very... And it's just like, they had a moment... Okay, Peter, what you saw is they had a moment on the roof. And everything that they said, there's nothing that you should be upset about there, honestly. Oh, my God. They didn't, like, sit there and make out on the DeVoe rooftop. They, like, they had a they tender just moment. They had, like, a... Yes. They didn't kiss. The, it was fine. No. I had mistakenly misremembered that they kiss, but they don't. They just hold each other. No, it was like they pressed their foreheads together and then they kind of, they hugged it out. Yeah. Christ almighty, Peter. There was nothing for him to brood about, but he is majorly brooding about it. Oh my God, yes. Pissed off at Claude. Why did you show me that? And Claude's just like, well, I didn't show anything she did. We just watched her. <laughs> And he calls Peter out. You live like an adolescent, Peter. <laughs> you live like an adolescent. Which is funny because of your whole hero and Peter parallels, honestly. And, like, I feel, stepping back a little, the main difference between Peter and hero is that hero has a friend. Yeah. Peter doesn't have a friend. Peter has a brother. And that is yeah, not the same. Yeah, that's so different. Yeah, Peter doesn't really have a very good friend. Like, I mean, sorry. Peter doesn't have a very good friend like hero does. That is their big difference. Yeah. And we get to see the brunt of that now. <laughs> <laughs> and he is like, again, he's like, you need to cut out your distractions or you're going to blow up. You're going to mess up this whole city. You were the only one standing in your way, Peter. And he's like, the people I love aren't distractions, Claude. <laughs> and um, Claude's like, well, just come on, then fly right now. Fly. Go fly off this roof right now. Or do you need to ask your brother's permission for that, too? And... He's like, I'm just trying to get my mind straight, Claude. <laughs> you know, and he's like, he's like, I don't have to do anything you tell me to do. And he's getting pissed off. And Claude just is like, yeah, that's right. You don't have to do anything except fly. And he just hurls Peter off the roof. <laughs> and Peter just slams down into a taxi below. So again, Isaac painted Peter falling. Mm -hmm. And there's this great shot of Peter laying on top of the taxi with this iron bar going through his chest. That's just... <sighs> Oof. And I love that the advertisement on top of the taxi was for the Takeso Kensei exhibit. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, keeping everything together. And luckily, Peter isn't dead on top of the taxi. He wakes up and he pulls the bar off of him and he looks up at the building and just mutters, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Claude meets him on the ground and Peter is pissed off. It's like, you could have killed me. And Claude's like, well, you could have flown. <laughs> and and listen, if you would have died, I'd have just defused the biggest bomb ever. So it was like, win-win. <laughs> but you didn't. You're alive. So what happened, Peter? And he's like, well, uh, man, like before he hit the ground, he had a flash in his mind of Claire. Of the girl in Texas who he helped to save, who could heal. And he remembered like what a sweet girl she was and so innocent and everything. And realizes that Claude, you're wrong. I don't need to cut people out. I need to remember them. I need to remember how they make me feel. And that is how I will control his power. Except Peter starts to think about people and it kind of starts to go haywire. <laughs> and he's like starting to lose it. And then Claude knocks him out. And he's like, well, that's a start. <laughs> so that's the end of Peter's stuff. But I do have one more note in New York before we hand it over to Keisha. And that is... We see Isaac painting again, and he finally paints Peter, and he paints him right next to the taxi, half invisible, and he realizes, oh, I've been painting him the whole time. 
And this isn't, he makes a call. You think, oh, he's calling Simone. No, he calls HRG. Like Eden before him, Isaac is still in contact with the company. He sure is. And he's like, well, I've, I think I found a way to stop him. And (laughs) HRG first asks Siler, letting the cat out of the bag that, oh, Siler's escaped. (laughs) And he's like, don't worry about Siler. Okay. Tell me about Peter. And, uh, Isaac's like, well, he's invisible. That's for one. So what does that mean? And uh, HRG pauses. Well, that means an old friend isn't as dead as we thought he was. <laughs> dun dun. Oh, I love it. So do you have any thoughts on the New York squad? Um, let me see. Uh, well, first of all, I think everyone in the world should know by now that brooding pup Peter is like my favorite thing in the world. He just gets... He goes from, like, zero to sad in just 60 seconds. He's so <laughs> fucking overreactive about everything. And and what we were just talking about, they were just holding. That's literally it. They were holding each other. And he flips out about it emotionally. It's just like, Peter, good lord. Oh, you need to get your shit together, man. Really? And, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny because I would mentioned this to Rachel last night after I watched the episode. That I've been calling Peter a pup since the literal first episode of our podcast, and I forgot that Claude does so for like mm, like a good ten minutes. So it's not just <laughs> me; it's a thing. That's probably where it came from, honestly. Uh, probably, probably like subconsciously. That and all the fanfic that exists because of Claude and Peter. Anyway, um, <laughs> so <laughs> anywho, um, yeah, I just. I love their, I love their, like, mentor-mentee moments so much. Claude is the best. He just, he doesn't let Peter off the hook for anything because he's right. He does live like a child. And he's going to have to put his big boy pants on to, to handle what's coming next. And there's a lot coming his way. He doesn't even know. Mm-hmm. Like, his, 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 his images of, you know, potentially exploding, that's, like just part of it he's got a lot of shit coming his way he's got to prepare he's got to figure out how to get ready for it um i absolutely love (laughs) that he happened to think of claire the girl with the sad little smile in texas considering what we'll find out later about her and her family um (laughs) so (laughs) better you know pump the brakes there uh Peter Claire shippers, you know, just <laughs> just might want to rethink it slightly. Um, he so, wasn't thinking of her in that way. I know, but you know that people probably were just like, oh. <laughs> he was just like, she's such he, a nice kid. She reminds me of me in a way, you know? You, you know what it is to, to ship. Any <sighs> any crumb you get, you just go for it. <laughs> well, we got lots of crumbs next episode, but that's beside the point. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, there's just that, and then, um, I, I love when Simone goes on the roof, she's like, eh, how these pigeons got up here? I just like that they mention it, because they kind of have to. It's like, oh, <laughs> there's a guy watching over them, so, um, yeah, I don't know, I just, I really like the Claude stuff. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure to rewatch this bit, and there's gonna be more of that yet to come, and I'm excited. Yeah, uh, I did want to mention something a little bit about... Isaac, and something I've kind of mentioned before, and I feel like this episode really continues to drive home, he's getting a real hero at it, a real capital H hero at it, because mm-hmm. he's like right in the thick of it, trying to find Peter, trying to stay involved and stop the threats and stay focused, and now he can because he's sober, 
and uh, and is willing to work with you know the company. He's willing to do what's necessary to try to to stop the bomb and save the city. Um, so I don't know, I, I just was like, wow, I forgot how much of like a, a main hero edit they gave Isaac when he got clean. Like, this is gonna be the guy. He's gonna figure it all out. Oh yeah, he's gonna save everyone. He surely is not going to die in a horrible way. <laughs> oh my god, we can't stop. Okay. Um, yeah, so pretty much just those two things mostly. I, I absolutely love this part with Peter and Claude. Same. I find it interesting that your willingness to work with the company all depends on your experience with them. Because Claude yes, had a good exactly. experience with them. He They got him clean. You said Claude. Ugh, hell's blazes. Isaac had a good experience with him. They got him clean. Just the wrong name. That was like in the uh, last week's um, Painting the Future, where I was just like confusing Peter and Nathan the whole time. I was like, oh, I mean Nathan. Oh, I mean Peter. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Eh, You know, Petrelli, Petrelli. (laughs) It's one, it's the other, whatever. But yeah, Yeah, it all depends on how they were treated. Like Mohinder last time was like, yeah, fuck you. Like, maybe if you treated, Pete, like, Mohinder a little nicer, or, like, whatever, it would have gone in your favor, but no. I don't know. He's so, he's so him about things. Like, mm-hmm. he, he, he's never, he's never just, like, ready to listen to anyone about anything. He's just a sass master, that one. If they would have asked Chandra, I think he would have, but they never got the opportunity to. Yeah, I mean, they clearly were probably going to start working with him. Like... They would have gotten to that point, probably. Most likely. But they didn't get to. But they got so. cucked by Siler. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Siler <laughs> <laughs> and the company, uh, yeah. Keisha, tell us what's happening down in Texas. Well, before I get into Siler, I actually want to talk about Claire first. Mm-hmm, okay. I want to wrap that up with a bow, and then I want to just fangirl for the whole last bit of okay. the episode. All right. <laughs> by all means. Um... Thank you. So, uh, basically, where we begin in Texas is we get to see. Well, like I said, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna slide aside some other stuff because I'm gonna focus on the Claire journey, which is, hey, guess what? Her bio mom is actually alive, and she's gonna go try and meet her. So we see Claire with Sandra and Muggles and Zach. And they're still using the Manatee Research Project as a cover, which I love. Uh, Like, hey, you know what would be great for our project is there's an aquarium we can visit, and we should get to do so. And I know it's, you know, open during school hours, but this is for a school project, so come on, it's kind of like the same thing. And I love how Sandra's just, you know, sitting there being like, you're asking me to skip school. And I love how Claire just doesn't even hesitate. And she's like, Mom, if I was going to skip school, I would just, you know, go to so-and-so's homeroom and then just climb out the window. <laughs> like, that's, that's not a good way to make your case, actually, is that you know exactly how to skip school. But it's great. She's smart. She just went right up to Sandra. And she's like, look, you know, we're going to do this. And we have a plan. And Zach's going to drive. And she's just such a great, responsible mom, like, you know, Zach, how's, how's your car? Is it in working order? And he's like, I just got the oil changed. And she's like, hmm, you know, like, all right, I guess, I guess you're being pretty responsible and safe about it. And so they get the chance to go. They go out to Kermit, Texas, 
you know, like the frog. And <laughs> she gets to finally meet her mother, Meredith Gordon. And uh, it's it's great because she doesn't really know how she's going to talk to her, or what they're going to talk about, because she really wants to, you know, tell her everything. She wants to be able to connect with her in a way that she hasn't been able to with anyone else yet, uh, at least in a family way. And she's just like, what am I going to say? Like, hi, it's me. I'm your daughter. I can regrow my kidney. Like, she doesn't really know how to bring it up. But she shows up and Zach drops her off and he leaves, even though he was supposed to stay because he's like, nope. Uh, I would be your escape hatch if I stayed, and I'm not going to give you that chance, so I'll be back later. So he zooms off. Is this his last episode? Is it? I think it might be. I think he has a very... I was actually going to look, also and looking. I forgot to, um, because I was like, he has a really not great exit, I remember, where he's just, just not around anymore. Like, yeah, this is his last one. Say goodbye to Zach. Oh, wow. He's done. Um, you'll see him again at the end of the, of the Claire story in this, but he's done. So sad day. We've already talked about what happened with all that. Um, so he drops her off and he leaves and she goes up to her mom's house. It's funny because she's like, you know, huh, I didn't really imagine that she'd be living in this, you know, in this trailer park. And I always imagined my parents would live in some penthouse in New York city. (laughs) Hmm. I wonder why she thought that. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, but you know, it's fine. I love how Zach's just like, come on, like, don't be judgy. Like, maybe she just likes to travel. And she does, it turns out. Uh, when she meets Meredith, she finds that uh, Meredith has lived a few places in Mexico, quite a bit of different cities in Mexico. She likes to travel. She likes to live a bit of a, you know, less tethered down life. And she seems kind of boho and cool. Like, she wears turquoise jewelry and flowy shirts and they have like a nice little you know conversation and uh it's it's really great when you see them next to each other uh it's great casting for family resemblance i feel like jesslyn gilsig really looks like she could be hayden's mom like a plus they have their little conversation and you know just a little like awkward you know small talk that you would make and uh I love when uh, I love when Claire decides she's just gonna do it. She's gonna show her, and uh, because Meredith's like, "Hey, you know, I didn't think that anything could have survived in the fire, and I'm sorry. And had I known, it would have been different." And Claire's like, "Well, this is basically how I survived." And she grabs a knife, and she—I always love how flashy she is about it. You know, it's never <laughs> like she breaks a pinky and it heals. It's like, no, here's my blood. Every single time. Like, here here we go. Um, and she slices herself with a knife and it heals. And instead of Meredith freaking out or anything, she's just like, oh, <laughs> some family. And she shows her that she has a power too, which is she is pyrokinetic. She can create and control fire, which is really awesome. And is probably why she survived uh, the fire in the building way, way many years ago. So, yeah, it's nice because it's like not only is Meredith pretty cool and they have like a nice little back and forth going on, but they can relate because they both have powers. And that's exactly the kind of thing that Claire needs in her life right now. So they sit there and they talk a little bit more and she would like to know about her dad as she's getting ready to leave. And Meredith's like, "Mm, that's a little complicated. Maybe next time. We'll save that for next time. And she's like, okay. And she gives her 
the necklace that she has on and Claire's like, Oh, I can't take this. And she's like, no, no, it'll look, it'll look better on you anyway. Kind of thing. And it's really, really pretty. It's like turquoise. I think it's like turquoise, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. She wears that kind of stuff. Um, and so it's just, yeah, it was a good meeting. It was the opposite of the horribleness that Bennett put together with Hank and Lisa (laughs) in every way. Uh, so it's nice to find Claire getting a better sense of who she is, where she comes from and, getting a more family connection. So that's what happens on Claire's side of things. I'm going to wait and talk about when she gets home after her momentous visit, after we talk about what's been happening the rest of the day. So if you recall from the last episode, and how could you possibly forget, (laughs) Bennett got a call that despite all best efforts, Siler is dead. Damn. Less than ideal. So, went down to his cell he went into the cell he threw the sheet off of the body whoops it's not him it's hank oh no oh no oh no because siler's there he's right behind him and the first thing he asks is how's claire because he's an asshole and he just (laughs) he knows he knows that's his button regardless of the fact that it's his goal in texas right now his fixation he knows that's his button and he's just gonna keep pressing it so he gives it gives him a hell of a bitch slap. Uh, if you actually pause the cap of it, it looks like he just just did it with the back of his hand. Um, but he he throws Bennett against the wall and uh, telekinetically, and he struts on over there and he yanks the shunt out of his skull. Which oh god, I, I hate watching that every single time. That would really hurt. Um, and he's like, that was for the haircut. And he throws the shunt down on the floor. And he just so calmly takes control of the situation the moment he has his powers again. When he has his powers, ain't nobody can step to him. So he strolls away as, you know, Bennett's recovering from getting flung against a wall, probably got the air just knocked right out of him. And he closes the door behind him and he goes to the little viewing area after he had grabbed Bennett's wallet. And he has this great little thing where as he's like strutting in front of the glass, he just flicks shit out of it just to be an asshole. <laughs> like, don't need this. Don't need that. Comes upon what he really wanted, which frankly, I bet you it was just right there. He just did that to be a dick. Um, so, <laughs> cause probably he's right in the little laminate pit. Uh, so he pulls out what he's looking for, of course, which is Bennett's driver's license. And he takes two fingers and he slaps it against the glass right when Bennett is getting back up, trying to recover from his injuries so we can see it and he takes it and he does this great like the whole okay there's so many great things about quinto's choices with his like body language and how he plays siler and this is when you really start to get a sense of it um because we saw him you know when he was cornered and we saw him in the shadows but now we really get to see like this like weird deadly elegance and mocking and like everything he does. And so he goes up and he slaps the license against the glass right in front of his eyes. And he swirls it around just like for no reason, just to be like, ha ha, guess what? I know where you live. It's on now. I'm going to go get Claire. I'm going to finish what I started. And it's wonderful because the, the ongoing thing of Bennett not having a fucking first name <laughs> 
His driver's license doesn't have a first name. It's not like his finger's covering it. It doesn't have one. His finger covers part of the address. It's just Bennett, um, which is, like, so good. Um, so he's, you know, pretty much just like, ha-ha, I know where she lives. And he's like, if you, you know, if you lay a hand on her, et cetera. And he's just, like, smirking, like, uh-huh, yeah, all right, I'm done. And he, he leaves him to just basically stew in the helplessness of holy fuck, like, this is gonna happen and there ain't nothing you can do about it. And he's just like, no! He's like pounding the glass and it's all very dramatic. And the next time we see him, he's not in his company-issued pajamas. He is in a Primatech uniform that he stole when he was leaving. And the first person who meets him at the Bennett household is Mr. Muggles. Who has this this great, great shot where they uh, film it from the floor and Muggles just like toddles on in there into Claire's bedroom. And he's just sitting on her like bed, which is so creepy. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm going to say it a lot. You're going to hear me say, which is so creepy or you are so creepy quite a bit in the next five minutes or so. Uh, because that's just what he's really leaning into. Like, oh, he's just so unnerving with what he does in the Bennett household. Ugh, um, ugh yes. Ugh. I know, right? It's like, oh, I'm a, I'm a fan of this character, but you're, you're being kind of a lot guy. <laughs> um, so it's like, but he knows he is. Like, I have a whole thing about that later. Anyways, um, so we see the, the great moment that lived in infamy and fandom for, for, for forever. With uh, Mr. Muggles and Siler. Because he picks up the dog. And he has a full conversation with the dog. Um, Not necessary. And uh, he's just like, oh, is Claire home yet? And the dog's just like, I'm a dog. I'm not going to say anything. (laughs) And and I I really love the little dog that plays whichever dog it was. uh, Because, you know, there's always several. uh, That played Muggles in that moment. Because it just really... Reacted so well to all of his nonsense. <laughs> like, just like, you know. Um, so he's like, hey, you know, is Claire home yet? And he's like, no. Oh, well, just wait. And, you know, like, this is all about to go down now. And he's like, so what's your name? And then when he says that, Sandra's coming in downstairs. And she's like, Mr. Muggles, where are you? You know. And he just smirks. And he's like, oh, hey, someone's home. Let's go say Hi. And he leaves her bedroom, and he does this thing that he does not need to do, but he does it anyway, where he he slowly drags his fingers over her bedspread as he's walking by. It's so gross and creepy and unnerving. (laughs) And he does it, he'll do it a lot on the show, too. Like, he, it's, it's part of the character's whole thing about, like, just being very invasive, not just in how he takes powers, but just how he reacts in people's spaces, and with their property in particular, like, he doesn't give a shit. Like, if he is in a room, he's gonna touch anything he wants. He's gonna, he just, he just very, he just takes over a space. And it's so, like, oh, you're such an asshole. Like, you just, you have no respect for anything. And it just really sticks out how he, how he does that. He'll do it again later with other things, too, and it's really hard not to notice. He just likes to get his hands all over everything. So he goes downstairs and Sandra's, oh, she's obviously spooked because there's a rando in her house holding her dog. And he immediately turns on this charm because he's a fucking psychopath. Um, This fake little Southern accent and everything, which was always questionable at best. um, About like, 
how he was just, you know, dropping by the house, you know, to make a delivery for the boss man. And he saw Mr. Muggles just outside, you know, chewing on a sprinkler head, got out of the gate. Damn, you know, he saved the dog. He's a hero, Rachel. I mean, really, just any, <laughs> just, he gets to look good too for a second. He just loves it. Um, and he's so smart to play it the way he does because he knows that she's just going to not freak out or anything. She's just going to be like, oh, well, you know, and this is what she does. She's just like, oh, you're so sweet. You know, I'm going to figure out which of my kids left that gate open. I'm going to tan their ass. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, hi, stranger. Would you like to sit down and I'll give you some sweet tea? And that's exactly what happens. <laughs> and so it's so great because it's like he easily could have just kept going with that. He could have just stayed with that real nice, you know, southern gentleman kind of thing and not mentioned Claire 50 times a minute. And, uh, but that's not the point. He wants to. He wants to unnerve people. He likes to provoke. It's his whole fucking thing. He enjoys that just as much as, you know, freezing something with a touch or flinging something across the room. He likes provoking people. He absolutely loves to just make people very uncomfortable. I feel like that's just because he lived such a non-life. He lived such a quiet, boring, impactless existence that now he just wants to just fucking get into someone's, you know, life and just mess with them and make them incredibly unnerved the entire time. Because that's the thing. That's what he does with Sandra. He sits there with zero chill and he mentions Claire every chance he gets, and he knows what he's doing. He's not like, oh shit, maybe I shouldn't do this. He does it more and more in creepier and creepier ways about like, oh, you know, I just, I'm just such a fan of her talents. Like, he Ugh. knows what he's saying. He, Oh my god, right? He knows he's being so gross. And that, you know, her mom is going to realize that and flip. Because that's what he wants. He wants her to realize something's wrong. Because then it gives him a reason to do what he does. Without feeling as guilty, I guess. I don't know. That's a whole discussion for another day. <laughs> but um, they have this whole little conversation. And it's so great that, he, you know, he, he, he gets to make all these innuendos to how he was kept at the company and treated. And, uh, you know, he's like, oh, I didn't think that Mr. Bennett was a dog person. And she has this great bit where she's like, I just think it's funny that all y'all call him Mr. Bent. I only know him as. And then she goes, stop you. Quit chewing on those shoes. And because Mr. Muggles likes to chew on shoelaces at this point. And for so long, everybody thought that. <laughs> or, God damn it. I did it again. Mmm. <laughs> 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 Hello, beep. <laughs> just just like a whole fucking clip package in the end of the season of me saying it over and over again and being mad about it. Ugh. Everybody thought that Mr. Bennett's name started with an S because of the way that the next word she says starts with an S. So for a while, people thought his name was like Sam or something. I saw a lot of that going around, like in the mm-hmm. in fandom conversation. It's not. It's the word I just fucking said. So. <laughs> God damn it. <sighs> Going to bed. I'm done. <laughs> anyway, he's like, oh, you know, I didn't think he was a dog person. And she does her whole little bit where she almost says his name but doesn't. 
And he's like, huh, I guess he just looms a little bit larger when he's drilling you. Because, you know, you think, like, drilling, like, ooh, he's a hard boss. No, there's a hole in his head. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's a spot. Um, Yeah, so he just really, it's so great, because he has, like, his little moment of semi-civility. And then he just goes, like, eh, fuck it, I'm just going to be gross and creepy, and we're going to just get this over with. And, um... (laughs) And, and I love that he's, like, just looking at a picture of her, too, and they're just, you know, and she's like, oh, yeah, she's a cheerleader, and she was homecoming queen and everything, or she would have been, and he's just like, wow. His, like, his dead-eyed, like, not even interested in being a person anymore line reading just kills me every single time. <laughs> like, oh, you're so, you're so awful. And she's just like, oh, you're awfully interested in my daughter and all this, and eventually he's just like, yeah, you know what? Here's the thing. I, I I am. I'm very interested in her. I'm interested in her talents. And here's what's going to happen is I'm going to I'm gonna kill both of you. I just can't really decide who I'm going to start with, though, is the thing. That's kind of what I'm mulling over right now. <laughs> he hasn't decided yet. You know, he still has to think about it. Sip his tea. So it's, it's really funny because, uh, you know, Sandra has been nothing but great to him the entire time. Like, just she's real patient up until the end. And... He immediately is just like, nah, not into it. And that's because Siler hates moms. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he has real good reason to. We're, let me just, like, tell you right now, we're going to meet his mom, and it's going to fill in a lot about him as a person. Yeah, so once he, you know, decides to... It's not even like he rips off the mask. He didn't really... He wasn't that interested in having it on in the first place. He's like, yeah, you know, this is what's, you know, going to happen. And because she's like, she keeps trying to to call him, and he's like, yeah, you're not going to be able to reach him. He's a little tied up right now, basically. Wink. And uh, he flicks the phone out of her hand at a certain point, and she's like, how did you do that? And he's like, I'm special. And uh, and, uh, and he flings her into a glass cabinet when she tries to run away from him, which is just real extra, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, she gave you tea. It was probably pretty good. Um, like, Like, come on, you're such a dick. And... He, you know, he does this little thing where he just really leans into his whole creepiness. He just fucking stalks over her all slow. And he does the stupid voice affectation, the, the deep voice effect that has no purpose for being other than that it's fun, I guess, for them to use. And the minute he's gonna just really, really wreck Sandra, well, who busts in but Mr. Ben and the Haitian? And he's just, I love how not only does he bust in, he's just, just bullets at the ready, just <laughs> fire away. This guy can just absolutely eat a dick at this point. Like, how dare he come into his home? It's on now. So he just flings the door open and just bam, bam, bam. And he's shooting at him. And uh, he, he runs and he tries to get away. And, and Ben's like, find him. He dies. And Haitian runs after him. And, um, and so, you know, he runs after him. And then we get back to it. And... He's trying to comfort Sandra, and Sandra's just real scared and real confused and real anxious. And the Haitian comes back around and, uh, you know, didn't get him. Siler got away. And Bennett's real frustrated about that. But he assures Sandra it's okay because he's just going to make her forget about all this again. And it's like, again, I mean, we have the sense that he's been doing that. But, oh, it just, you have to think, how many times has this poor woman had her mind erased? 
And it's actually something that's going to have consequences because after this all goes down and, you know, the, it's, the, the scene is cleaned up, so to speak. The Haitian does his thing with Sandra. Then the glass is dealt with. You know, everything's pretty much cleaned up and, and arranged. So that it looks like nothing happened. Uh, Claire and Zach show up. And Sandra is so mad because she got a phone call from the school. And Claire skipped school today. How dare and Claire's like, no, we we talked about this this morning that we were going to the aquarium. <laughs> and I love Zach just showing and just holding up the brochures like, see, <laughs> see, <laughs> this is where we went to. The ones that, as we saw earlier in the episode, uh, Claire made herself with uh, by stealing some brochures from a Motel 6 and using her color printer because she's very resourceful, just like her father. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> They're both very good at what they do. And she probably has a good knowledge of, like, how to print stuff well because, you know, paper. Paper knowledge. Um, so, um, she's got paper knowledge. And so Sandra's like, what are you talking about? I don't I don't remember that. Why would I forget something like that? That's not something I would forget, us having a conversation like that. And it's very clear that something's not quite okay with Sandra and she's getting a headache. And Claire's like, um, I'm going to finish this setting the table. How about you just go lay down? And she's like, well, you're not off the hook just because, you know, you're doing this, but okay. And it's like, oh, no, he's he's like, you can't just keep erasing someone's memory. You're going to give her brain scramblies. Like, that's not, that's not okay. It's it's really, oh, man. Because I, I just, I know where this is going, and I feel so bad for Sandra. I feel so bad for Sandra Bennett throughout this entire show. Yes. Like, oh, I just want to give her such a hug. Um, But, yeah, so that happens, and, you know, Bennett's on the phone. He's, you know, talking to people, and dealing with things and he sees Claire and, you know, he gives her a little wave. And when he gives her a little wave, it's after she discovered a piece of glass that the cleaning team missed. And it's like, Oh, something happened here that they're all covering up and she's going to get to the bottom of all this. Maybe, um, at least, you know, try to try to help her mom. It's funny. Cause it's like, we have the idea of Bennett as, you know, the face of evil, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but he actually is responsible for some stuff. That's like pretty fucked up. <laughs> Like, in in trying to protect people, sure, you know, good intentions. But, yeah, he's he's kind of really not the best person for his family all the time. Like, he, he'll go to some really extreme measures and doesn't really give that much of a damn about the consequences. And that's going to really come to a head soon. But, uh, yeah, uh, Zach waving the brochures, that was the last we'll see of Tom Stecker on the show. So, say goodbye. That was it. That was his last scene. Sad day. Um, so, uh, when we go back to the trailer where Meredith was, just to button up the episode, she's calling Claire's father. And she's like, hey, guess what? My daughter just came in today. And she was asking me questions about you. And, you know, what are we going to do about this, basically? And we get the grand reveal as to who Claire's biological father is. Rachel, who is Claire's dad? Nathan Petrelli, you are the father. <laughs> clap, 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 clap. <laughs> yep, it's Nathan. It's his only time he shows up in the episode, and they do, like, a great shot where they show his fucking watch first. It's like, that's an iconic watch. You know immediately who it is before his face or anything. You're just like, oh my god, it's Nathan! It's like we've talked about in past episodes, though. Like, it really couldn't have been that many people that we've seen before. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's not really that shocking. But um, really puts a new context into all of the, like, you know, the Peter Claire of it all. (laughs) Like, everything. So 
But it's cute, because it's like you said, it wasn't like him being, like, you know, gross or anything. He was just, like, really, like, oh, it just had, like, a nice memory of the nice, sweet girl in Texas who's like him. And turns out now that's, you know, that's his niece. So Claire is uh, incredibly connected to everything because she's half of Petrelli. That's our, our, our big uh, our big moment for the end of the episode. But yeah, any 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 and all thoughts to add to the many things that went on in Texas this week? <laughs> oh my god, just how fucking creepy Siler was that whole time. Oh god, it's like some fucking um, how to catch a predator bullshit. Sweet tea and all. And like Sandra yeah. just slowly catching on to him being creepier and creepier and being like it's not because he's special it's because he's like being way too salacious talking about this 16 year old girl (laughs) yes and it's like he knows it's like i said he loves to be the provocateur so much that he ramps it up on purpose when she doesn't respond at the first bit you know Mm -hmm. like He's going to force her to pay attention to what he's doing. Oh, man. And um, with, like, one exception, Siler is not someone to play the long game as much. Mm. With one noted exception, which I just thought about now, which we'll just talk about when that happens. Uh, so, mm-hmm. he he's the showman. There are other villains yep. in this show that will play a long game that will would have easily sat there the whole time with Sandra being just charming as can be until Claire got home. Yep. But again, he has zero chill. He has zero chill. And he just gets too... He's just so smug. He's so proud of himself. That he just can't contain himself ever. He's just like, ah, you know what? This was fun, but I'm going to kill you now. Like, he just... <laughs> he just he just has no, no attention span for any of it. Nope. Because, you know... I think deep down he also knows that yeah Bennett's stuck in the cage, but he won't be forever. Like he's he's gotta he's gotta stay somewhat focused. I think that about covers the episode. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. No painting the future this week, as we said. Yeah, there's only one person we talk about, and I don't think it's worth talking about right now. We'll have another chance to discuss all of that in the future. Plus, uh, to be fair, I think we'd both have to do a lot of extra research because <laughs> it's like very detail specific yes. to season two in particular, and we're not there yet. Yes. So, yeah. As we learned from our like 30 minute Nathan Petrelli wiki session last week. <laughs> we don't remember shit. <laughs> oh, the, the things that you remember, oh, the joy. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you would like to, why don't you come follow us on social media? <laughs> uh, you can follow the podcast as a whole at Eclipse Podcast on Twitter. If you would like to follow either myself or Keisha, you can find us at, on Twitter as well. I am at that burb there. B as in Bennett, burb. <laughs> and Keisha is lady underscore snark on Twitter. And yep. we also have an email. You can email us eclipsedpod at gmail.com. We also have a Discord. I will post the link in the show notes. You can click on there, join the fun. <laughs> ask questions we'll answer <laughs> yeah we will we did today <laughs> i wanted to say about the twitter uh there might be some people listening who the eclipse podcast has followed on twitter it'd be real cool if you followed back just saying <laughs> yes we followed a few people like 60 <laughs> yeah, okay i wasn't the one who followed them so yeah 60 people <laughs> i did it was me i did it she did podcast chores this weekend so I did. Just had to guilt people while I slipped yeah. it. You can you can follow uh, Keisha for what are you watching right now? Like Billions or Succession or some kind of. 
Which, which what, show is what it? Is, what is that white people problem show you're watching at the moment? Uh, billions is the correct answer. I was right. Okay, good. I was right my first one. I know. Yeah, she's... Dude, Succession. All right. Don't. She's watching Billions right now. So you can follow her she for is. that great content. And I'm yeah. playing Animal Crossing. I post every once in a while. I've discovered you can take video with the Switch. So I post things every once in a while about that. Otherwise, just follow the podcast. Oh, okay. I was like, well, it's not just Billions. I'm also trying to finish The Magicians and not get spoiled. So. <laughs> But I'm also I'm also doing that thing where it's like I don't want to get spoiled, but I'm also not actively watching it every chance I get. So that's on me. Yeah. Follow us for that fun, fun content. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you in the next one. Bye bye. Bye. Next time on Eclipsed, Claire gets political, learns some of Jessica's makeup tips, Matt gets into private security. Siler gets a rather unconventional Airbnb booking, and Mohinder meets his patient zero. Tune in. <laughs>